1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9, going through chapter 7, verse 7. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you wear. But you wear washed. You wear sanctified. You wear justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband in the same way the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 to 8, we considered what it means to judge rightly, to seek God's justice over our rights, to rely on God's wisdom rather than the wisdom of the world, and to suffer harm rather than inflict harm to be willing to be wronged and cheated instead of wronging and cheating others. Ultimately, we focus on judging ourselves rightly 
before judging others. And we'll come back to these truths about judging later in 1 Corinthians. Right now, those truths serve as the backdrop to our understanding from this passage of how we must live and judge ourselves and others within the body of Christ regarding sex and sexual immorality. How should we judge? So all those points about judging and what we should do and what, how to think of that, keep that in mind as we think about these passages or these verses now. And the first and foremost point to note is what Paul states in verse 11. Although every one of us was guilty of various sins, including sexual immorality, idolatry, adultery, theft, greed, drunkenness, slander, and swindling, which would all disqualify us from inheriting the kingdom of God if we unrepentantly continued in those sins, the truth is our sins, all of these sins, are blotted out when we repent and then when we are washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit. This is critical. This is important. We are not coming to the Lord remaining in our sin. When we come to the Lord repenting of our sin, he does this work in us. And it is to those, those who are washed in the blood of the Lamb, those who are sanctified, those who are made holy by God, and those who are justified, that means that we have been brought into right legal standing before God. It is to those people in Christ Jesus that Paul makes this very important statement. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. Keep in mind that the prevailing view among the Corinthians and the worldview that was affecting even the believers in Corinth was that the physical body was lesser than the spiritual, the spiritual self. So the physical was lesser than the spiritual self and that it was okay to believe and even profess something pertaining to your spiritual life but to do something entirely different in your physical life. It didn't matter if you believed in God in your mind, you could do whatever you wanted with your body. That was sort of the prevailing thought. And it's a prevailing thought even today. People will tell you this. I believe in Jesus. I believe in doing what he tells me to do. I believe in the Bible. I believe in going to church. But I can live whatever way I want. I can do whatever I want. I can indulge in whatever pleasures I want. I can do whatever I want in the body because it's my body. And so we've gotten this dualism, this dichotomy that affects even the church today. But it was certainly prevalent in the Corinthian church at the time. Now, it is interesting to note that only Judaism, Christianity, and Islam believe in a bodily resurrection from the dead. Right? Other religions and worldviews believe in reincarnation or transmigration of souls, even if they do believe in any form of life after death. But what characterizes Christianity is the belief in a creator God 
and his special physical creation of all things, including our physical bodies that will eventually be resurrected into a glorified body like that of Jesus' body after his resurrection. He's the first fruits of the resurrection is what the Bible says. So the Bible is speaking about and is unique in this statement to say a creator God who created all things uniquely and specially created us human beings in the image of God with these physical bodies not just for this time on earth but so that these bodies would one day be glorified just like Jesus' body was glorified to live with God for eternity. That's special. That is fantastic. That seems unbelievable. And I have no idea what we will look like when we get into this glorified body. I don't know what the details will be, what we will look like on the external. Is it when you were 30 years old at the prime of your life, that's what you will look like? I don't know. Maybe you feel that you are living the prime of your life when you're 80s. I don't know then if that means that you will look like you are when you're 80 years old. I don't know what the functioning of this glorified body will be. Jesus ate and he drank even after he was resurrected. I don't know how that works. I don't know what this glorified body will be. I don't know what our skin tone will be. Brown, brown. You know, I don't know. I don't know what this glorified body will look like. But I can tell you this. This is what the Lord promises. He says we will be transformed. We will see something happen. And then, you know, just as we considered when we were talking about the names, the name of, that our names are written in the book of life, when we considered that, we said that our names are written in the book of life and we will recognize it even if it's not this name. It may not be Philip or John or Gigi or whatever, but it will be there and we will know it and we will say, oh, our name is written in the book of life. Similarly, it won't be like this. I don't know what it will be like. But there's some way that we will be recognized. And so this physical body, this physical body, when we are resurrected, the bottom line is our bodies on earth, our bodies here, our physical bodies are not merely an earth suit that we will discard when we die. Our bodies matter to God. Our bodies are designed to be the temples the very presence, the carrying, holding vessel of the Holy Spirit when we live on earth. And when we are glorified with him, our bodies are meant to manifest the glory of God for all of eternity. So don't think less of your bodies. Don't think too highly of your bodies either. But don't think less of your bodies. God has a purpose for it. Why is this important? Why is it important? Because if you don't think of your body as God thinks of it, you won't think too much about what happens to it. You will care for your body only as far as it provides you pleasure and it serves your purpose. You will do things for your body only as far as it provides you pleasure and it serves your purpose. I want to do this, so I'll do whatever I need to do my body to do that. I, will, I want to experience this, so I'll do whatever I want to do to my body to experience that. 
I want to indulge in this pleasure and therefore I will do whatever I want to my body to experience that pleasure. But, but, if you think of your body as a unique and special creation of God and you realize that your body belongs to God, then you will care about what happens to it as far as it serves God's purpose, not your purpose. You will say, I want to take care of my body, not so that I can look good, but I want to take care of my body so that I can fulfill God's purpose for me on this earth. That's the purpose that you're talking about. That's what you would look to. That's what you would think about. And just as it would be in eternity, the focus here is not on what you would look like externally. Every thought that you have, everything that you would do is to say, God, I want to glorify you. Now, keep in mind that if you have a thought that your body is not good enough or it's not functioning well enough, those truths, those realities, and I'm not suggesting at all that there aren't those realities. There are things that affect us in our minds and in our circumstances that affect our physical bodies. And we struggle with things in this earth. But when we are going through that, even as you think of those things, you must keep in mind that those are the consequence, those are the results, those are the influences of the world that gives you an unbiblical worldview in how to think of your body and the effects of sin and a fallen world that cause our physical body to deteriorate and that you are comparing yourself to someone else and feeling like you don't measure up because you're not looking to Jesus and the fact that he has uniquely created you, you're looking to somebody else and saying, ah, I'm not as good as them. And, and our bodies are affected by all sorts of attacks of the devil in our points of vulnerability. In the ways in which we make ourselves vulnerable, the devil comes after us. So for all these reasons, our physical bodies are affected. Our makeup, our whole being is affected. But when we realize, when we start to understand that we are stewards of our bodies, not owners. God is the owner. We are stewards of our bodies. We realize that the biblical truth that Paul is pointing to is that our bodies are members of Christ himself. Our bodies are members of Christ himself. Let me reiterate our present reality that I've already alluded to. We live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world that has been impacted by sin. Our physical bodies are subject to the effects of that fallen world. Our physical bodies are subject to whatever we do to them based on our appetites and actions. You do something to harm your body, your body is harmed. But, and our physical bodies are subject to what the devil does as his purpose is to kill, to steal, to destroy. So he comes after us with everything possible. But, 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 God's good design, what we see when he created Adam and Eve, was for human beings to have a body meant for physical interaction with and spiritual fellowship with God. 
and physical interaction and fellowship with other human beings. Why create a body for us? Because he had a purpose in doing that to say, this body that you're walking and living and moving around in is to have fellowship with me and to have fellowship with one another. He had a purpose in this. So God does this, creates this, gives us all of these ways in which we interact. We will on one day, on that day when the Lord Jesus returns, enjoy the fulfillment of that promised reality. If our present reality has all of these things where creation itself and our bodies groan for the effect of sin, from the effect of sin, there is a promised reality when all that passes away. No sickness, no death, nothing else, and we would be joined with the Lord in that eternal glory. But in the meantime, when we accept Jesus, redeemed from our sins, when we're transformed from the old to the new, we are spiritually and figuratively joined to the Lord Jesus in spiritual and physical interaction and fellowship with him. And quite significantly, we're joined in spiritual and physical interaction and fellowship with our brothers and sisters. So the God that has created us in, in this way has created us to be in community. We're not called to be in isolation. Why do I need to see you physically? So that I can relate to you. If, I, if you were just a spirit floating around, I would have no idea where you went and what you did. You know, as, as the Bible says, it like, blows like the wind. But because I can see you, because I can hold you, because I can sit down and pray with you, because I can cry with you, I have an opportunity to interact with you. And that's why the Lord says, I have put you in this community so that you may have fellowship with one another. We interact, we laugh together, we share together, we sing together, we worship together, we break bread together, we pray for one another, we weep together, we serve each other, and we strengthen each other. And by the way, even when we are physically incapacitated, the Lord gives us the opportunity to be of impact and blessing to each other. I'm not talking about you have to be in perfect health. I'm saying in whatever state that we're in, we would say, oh Lord God, help me to have this fellowship with you and to have this fellowship with my brother and my sister, to be a blessing to them and for them to be a blessing to me. Oh, do we look for that, we pray for that, we believe for that, we strive for that, we behave in those ways. Now, let me state this clearly. Just as we don't want to have a lesser than view of our physical bodies, we don't want to have a greater than view of them either. Most people in the world that do not know God have chosen to have some other God, some other idol, something else that they worship. And there are plenty of people around us who have made their bodies their idols. They're pursuing a certain thing. Whether it be to be fit or to look a certain way or to do something else, they're pursuing it with all that they have. And their bodies are given a whole lot more importance than they should be given. So again, not that the physical body is less, but not that it's more. That we would have the right thinking. We would right, think rightly of ourselves as tripartite tripartite beings having a spirit, a soul, and a body, that we would not overemphasize one over the other. And it is because, 
It is because Paul thinks rightly of the body, because he understands the value and purpose of the physical body, that he makes this statement, flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body that doesn't belong to them but belongs to the Lord and was designed for a glorious purpose. Why should we not have sexual relations with or why should we not unite our bodies with someone other than our spouses? Why not? What's the big deal? Because our bodies were bought with a price. Jesus shed his blood on the cross to redeem these bodies, to say, this is for me. I have paid the price. This body belongs to me. And because he paid that price, we can't just do whatever we want with this. We don't take our bodies and unite them with a prostitute. Why? Because there was a price that was paid. And we want to do all to honor God with our bodies. Avoiding sexual immorality is not primarily about denying the flesh. It is about honoring the Lord. It is about living in the fear of the Lord. Fleeing sexual immorality is to take deliberate and urgent action to diligently avoid being in the situations or looking at or listening to or thinking about those things that would tempt us to sin and to actively pursue God's righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Why have this community? Why come to a local church? Why look for your brothers and sisters? Because they can encourage you to flee from and to pursue hard after. Because we will say, oh, don't do that. Don't go after that. Not because we judge. Not because, oh, you're... No, we say, oh, no, 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 don't do that. Because if you do this, you grieve the Lord. You're taking something that is precious. You're taking something that is beautiful. You're taking something that the Lord intended for good. Oh, and it's going in a bad way. Don't do it, don't do it. Let me help you. Let me encourage you. Let me stand with you. Let me pray for you. Let's pursue the things of God. Let's flee from the things of this flesh and the things that would corrupt or easily entangle and cause us to sin. Let's go after the things of God. Let's move in this direction. Let's pursue these things of God. That's why we need community. That's why we come together as a church to go after these things that the Lord calls us to. And here's a practical point I'll tell you. Next time you have a temptation to watch something, to read something, to listen to something, to think something. Just open the Bible. Randomly even. Just open it and start reading a verse. I assure you, it'll be very, very, very difficult to stay with that temptation if you're actually trying to read a Bible verse. Or put on some song, a worship song, a song that will glorify God, a song that will lift up the name of Jesus. And I assure you, it's very difficult to stay in that temptation when that is playing, when that word is coming, when you're reading out loud even and hearing with your ears, oh, 
Give glory to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. When you're saying that, when you're singing that, when you're thinking that, tough to stay in the temptation. So just do that. Take that opportunity to say, Lord God, you, do redirect my thinking. Transform me by the renewing of my mind. Now, we have addressed this topic of sexual immorality in the past. We're addressing it in these these messages, and we'll address it again in the future. It comes up, right? It comes up, because it comes up in the world all around us. It was coming up in the time of the Corinthians. But I want to move on to this next point, because I want to focus on what God's good design for sexuality is. And that is this. We are to enjoy sexual relations in marriage. We are to enjoy sexual relationships sexual relations within a marriage relationship. The Bible is not against sex. The Bible is not against sex at all. One of the first directives God gave Adam and Eve was to be fruitful, to have sexual relations and multiply. And he wasn't just saying add, you know. Have sexual relations or be fruitful and add to your, the two of you. Be, have, uh, you know, sexual relations, be fruitful and multiply. So, He's not against sex. But we've already seen how and why sexual relations have to be within the context of a covenantal relationship between one man and one woman. That is God's good design. That's what we covered in part one. So when sexual relations are in that way, sexual relations are the mutually respectful expression of love within marriage. It is not in any other context. And then, in this passage, we see an additional aspect of the marriage relationship. Because our bodies are not our own, because they belong to the Lord and are members of the body of Christ, by extension, Paul is saying here, our bodies belong to our spouses. Oh, you were with me all this time, and there you went, ah. No. Really? I'm just reading the verse. Husbands and wives give themselves sexually to each other as an act of stewardship of their bodies. And quite importantly, they don't use or engage in sex or withhold sex as a means of manipulating or punishing the other person. You know the stories. You know these things. I don't need to go into any details on how this works. And you'll see this consistently in the media around you. How sex is used to manipulate, to reward, to punish, to do whatever. But it is not the loving expression that God had designed. It is not what the Bible describes in this way. And here, I want to make this point. For too long in the world, and sadly in the church, we have held to this maxim that men must have sex to be fulfilled. The wife may need sex too, but it's not as important for her. And sex is a privilege for a man and his right. Sex for the woman is an obligation or duty that she must provide to the man regardless of the circumstances. The man is to be fulfilled in his desires. What does it do? 
the woman is objectified and seen primarily as a means of serving the man. And we use all sorts of good ways to talk about this, but essentially we have been too long and too much in the church even where we have said it's the man's desire, it's the man's primary thing, it's the man that has to be fulfilled. The Bible doesn't describe sexual relations in that way at all. Regardless of how certain scriptures, including the ones in this passage, have been misinterpreted, listen to the passage again. Go read it. Go look at what it says. In the same way the husband has to yield to the wife. It is mutual. There is respect. There is submission. There is a love and affection. There is no domineering. There is no obligation. There is no control. None of those things. And if that is what's happening, if that is the abuse, if that's what's going on, get help, do the things that are necessary. None of that is biblical. It can't be justified. Sex between a husband and a wife is about yielding to one another, of abstaining for the mutually agreed purpose of prayer or because of physical limitations, of delightfully discovering how best to serve each other, and of resisting all temptations for anything else. That's the relationship that the Bible calls us to. You see, the focus is not on don't do this, don't go there, don't, do, don't look at that. The focus is on what do you need to do? What do you need to be? How should you think about this? How can you give yourself wholly to the Lord and to his word? If the husband and the wife if anyone any, seeking any kind of relationship is prepared and committed to do that, would there be a difference? Sure. There would, it would be a very different picture from what we have today. So here's the thing. As we consider all of these things that the Word tells us, we respond and apply by fulfilling the purpose of God for our bodies in God-glorifying, biblically-based sexual relations. We respond and apply the word of God that we have heard by fulfilling the purpose of God for our bodies. I'll address some questions that arise from this passage in our sermon discussion on Wednesday evening. And in the next message, as we go through the rest of chapter 7, in God's Good Design Part 3, I'll address celibacy, how we get married and how we stay married. Because Paul touches on those points. He touches on that at the very end of the passage that we read today. But he gets into this and he's speaking about the gift of celibacy and so on. And we'll talk about that and why he opens this passage with that verse you know, so on. We'll talk about that in the coming weeks. But this morning, as a point of application that is similar to the point of application from part one, let's ask the Lord to guide and direct us to think and to act rightly regarding sex and sexuality. We can't avoid the topic. It needs to be talked about in the church because we need to know what the heart of the Lord is and what the Bible says about it. The world is constantly telling you what it means and what you should do about it. The world is constantly bombarding you with the messages about this. You know why? Because everything that the Lord has intended for good, everything that the Lord has designed best and well, 
the devil will try to steal, to kill, to destroy, to corrupt, to somehow make it bad. And when that happens, when people say, oh, this is what is bad, they not only turn from that, they not only feel hurt by it, they'll turn on God. They'll turn against God. And so the devil will go after everything that is good. What God has intended for good will be corrupted in some way. So we have to keep coming back to God's truth. We have to keep coming back to the source. We have to keep coming back to the Lord himself and saying, Lord, what do you want me to know about this topic? How do I live? How do I live, live right now if I'm single? How do I live right now if I'm married? How do I live right now if there's difficulty in our marriage? How do I live right now in terms of preparing my children for this? How do I speak about this in a way that glorifies God and is true to the word? How do I do this, Lord, that in, the, in a way that will help the truth of your word to go forth and the truth will set us free? A lot of what happens around us is all of these perversions that lead to bondage, not freedom. But what the Bible talks about is the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, true freedom. So this morning, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you that you would consider these truths and that you would pray and you would say, Lord, is there anything that needs to be set right in me? And maybe there's nothing in the present, but maybe there was something from the past. Maybe there's something that you need to address. Maybe there's something that you need to bring before the Lord and say, Lord, I need to be washed. I need to be cleansed. I need to be sanctified. I need to be justified in this area. I've held on to this. I've let this affect me. I have gone through and let this sully my soul and corrupt my mind. Lord, clean me. Cleanse me. Make me whole. Maybe there's nothing going on from the past, but maybe there's some concern for the future. Maybe there's something that is going on in the present that you are concerned about will affect you. Maybe you have a concern about your child. Maybe you have a concern about a family member. Whatever it may be, bring it to the Lord in prayer. Bring it to the Lord and say, Lord, you have your way. Do your work. Make a change. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy. We thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing. And we thank you, Lord, that right now you speak to us and you guide and direct our steps. Father, we pray that you would help us to appropriate this word and to live our lives in light of your truth. Lord, when the world gives us all sorts of messages, help us, Lord, not just to receive those things, but to discern what is right and wrong by the word of God. Let your word be our light. Let your word be our life. Let your word direct our steps so that, Father, we will not stumble. This is an area that is important. This is an area that's affecting so many things. Help us, Lord, to have the right perspective. Let us give our bodies to you and live for Christ alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.